All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. Welcome back to the Northern Hunter Podcast, everybody. I'm Dalton Gray. I'm Ryan Humphreys. And we are once again missing our dear friend James. Yeah. He is uh, out for this episode, but hopefully he'll be back with us next week. Well, he'd better be because I'll be gone. So, oh, will you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be gone for the next couple episodes anyway. Well. Um, That's sad. But he'll be back, and I'll be out hunting. So out uh, out to guide a fall brown bear hunt on the coast, and that's what we're going to talk about today before I get back and do a recap of that hunt. But I wanted to wrap back real fast. On Monday, we spoke about an episode 50 mm-hmm. about moose hunting. We kind of recapped that moose hunt that I did uh, here a couple of weeks ago now. Make sure you go listen to that. Yeah, go check out that cool story. Talk a lot about moose calling and strategies mm-hmm. and tactics in that one. Uh, we didn't talk about guns for moose and some of the gear that I used. So I wanted to just quickly mention, I used my Yukon River knives. Oh, yeah. Knife on that bowl. Um, and I used the small game and the Sendero pack. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I have to be honest with you. I think I almost preferred the small game. What did you like better about it? The tip. Yeah? Yeah. A little more pointed? Yeah, a little more point to it. A little easier to just reach up underneath that big, heavy hide. And get into some of those hard to get places. Yeah, Yeah, and it skinned really, really well. Yeah, I could see that. I was impressed with it. So I'm going to be using that a lot more than I thought I would. Um, So... The Sendero pack knife did a great job. It's got a nice long belly. I fleshed that entire black bear with that knife. Mm-hmm. Did a great job. I love it for a turning knife like that. Kind of seems like if you had to pick one to do it all, it might be the Sendero. Yeah, e- either the Sendero or the Hunter. Yeah, just because of the bigger blade. Yeah, yeah, a little more blade on the Hunter. Um, but yeah, if, if I could only use one, it'd probably be the Hunter. But mm-hmm. on that moose, I used the small game and the Sendero pack knife. And then I also used those 60-inch club game bags from yeah, Troy Sessions. They'll turn out nice. Very, very good game bags. They're soaking in dish soap at my house nice. in a tub right now after being washed up. Um, but yeah, having the handle on the end when the pilot and I were loading the plane with meat, mm-hmm. he was impressed with having a handle on one end. Yeah. He really liked that. So shout out to uh, 60-inch club and uh, Yukon River knives there. And then I already mentioned in that last episode that I shot that moose having to back up the climb. Right. If you want to hear about that, go back and listen to the episode. 
But when I had to back up shoot that bull, I shot him with my Weatherby Mark V Backcountry 2.0 chambered in 338 Weatherby yeah. RPM with a 205 grain hand loaded power hammer from Hammer Bullets. And I recovered one of the bullets. I posted that um, in a photo on my Instagram yeah, I saw at, that. at The Endless Hunter on Instagram and uh, just at my name, Dalton Gray, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. If you want to go see the photo of that bullet, I've got it in my hand with one of the Hunter's um, 180 grain Nosler Acubons out of his 300 wind mag. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found one of each in that bull moose. So just a little bit of the gear and the stuff that I use there. We didn't talk about what is enough gun to kill a moose. I would probably say anything 270 and up. That was one of our points (laughs) in here. Um, 270 will work fine. 30 out six will work fine. If you're buying a gun specifically for moose hunting and you can handle the recoil, I'd recommend a 300 wind mag. It's just really hard to go wrong with a good 300 wind mag. And there's ammo everywhere for it. Yeah, there's easy ammunition availability. If you're a hand loader, then maybe something else will fit your fancy. Mm -hmm. Um, 300 PRC is also a good one if you can get... uh, That's pretty sweet there, too. One of those 212 grain ELDXs or a 190 grain Hornady CX is their monometal copper bullet. Well, you know Um, what I've been talking about is that 33 Sherman. Yeah, I've been hearing you mention that a lot. I keep talking about it. I'm going to plan it on building build myself a rifle and uh i'm gonna do a wildcat build yeah now that i started looking at them i can't get away from yeah i'd be interested to see how that one turns out obviously we'll we'll have to cover that in good detail when we when we go through that um but for yeah for a gun you know a lot of people ask what's enough gun to kill a moose Mm -hmm. if you can handle the recoil and you want to buy a new gun and you don't have one specifically that you want to use for moose, then right. I'd, I'd probably recommend starting at a 300 wind mag. That's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. That 180 grain bullet range and up is going to be great. Um, and then pick a tough controlled expansion bullet. Obviously, we're partial to the hammer bullets on this show, but a good uh, a good bonded bullet with a lead core like a Nosler Acubond or a Swift A-frame mm-hmm. or a Swift Scirocco or a Barnes or a Hornady CX, something in that tough bullet category that won't fragment and come apart. Even the Hornady ELDX does a good job um, for what yeah. it's for, for what it's built for. It holds together plenty well enough to kill a moose. You know, um, I um, cut up a neck for somebody. Somebody gave my sister-in-law some neck meat. She okay. had me cut it up because she had no idea what she was doing. Okay. And um, there was a piece of lead mm. in the neck that made me think it was probably shot with like uh, with a cup and core, yeah. maybe an ELDX or something. Yeah. But it definitely came apart. Yeah. And there's a piece of it in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, anyway, just wanted to kind of quickly touch back on that before we get into this week's episode, which is fall brown bear hunting. Yeah. dun da 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 So we've talked a lot about spring bear hunting on this podcast. We've talked a lot about bear baiting and coastal bear hunting in the spring and the tactics that go into that. And the tactics are similar in that there's a lot of sitting and waiting. There's mm-hmm. a lot of glassing time. You're going to spend a lot of hours behind your binoculars or your spotting scope if you choose to bring one as a client. Usually as a client, you just bring binoculars and, and your guide will have a spotting scope. That, that's normally the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're still going to be doing a lot of sitting and waiting, but you're probably going to be overlooking some different type of terrain. Yeah. In the spring, your tactics revolve around rut activity. Mm-hmm. And when the boars are cruising around looking for sows, and, you know, that there's no fish in the rivers yet. They're not focused on that food source. Their food source is going to be grass and roots right. and herbs and things on the hillsides or on the beach grass 
where they're going to get a lot of fiber in their diet to really get their gut moving again before the fish start running. Mm -hmm. That's what their diet is going to largely consist of in the springtime is grasses. And so finding a good rutting area that has traditionally been a good spot to find hot sows where the boars Mm -hmm. will cruise through and try to find one is going to be one of your better bets. In the fall, that's different because you're targeting their food sources. In the fall time, um, a lot of the brown bear seasons open relatively late. You know, a lot of them open in middle of September and on for different units that's going to be different for different parts of the state. But like if you say the peninsula um, in unit nine, that season opens um, October 7th, I believe it is. October 7th to October 22nd. So it's about a two-week stretch Mm -hmm. in the middle of October. And that's after most of the main fish runs occur. A lot of the fish run in that, you know, late July, all of August, a lot of September, and they start to pretty well dry off by about the, by about the middle of September, it's starting to wane a little bit. Then you'll Mm -hmm. get some late runs of a few different kinds of fish that'll come up. And some of the late runs will come up in October even. And if you can target an area to hunt that has a run of fish in October, then you're going to find those bears that are trying to get that late catch. Mm-hmm. And bears have one thing on their mind in the fall, and that is prepare. They're getting ready for the great apocalypse of snow that's headed their way. And before they head up into their dens, into the high country, and disappear into a hole in the ground for the next you know, several months um, to hibernate, mm-hmm. they're going to try to stock up and be as fat as they can possibly right. be. You can look up all the all the photos and videos of Katmai National Park up here in Alaska, and they have the fat bear contests. And these bears are the prime example of, well, the name fat bears. Yeah. They're obscenely huge. They're just monstrous fat bears. They're obscenely obese. Yeah, there you go. Obscenely yeah. obese. A good one. Yeah, you like that? You like a little jingle after that so you, one. Your dad might like that, you know. Obscenely obese. <laughs> Why would my dad like <laughs> Alliteration. That? Oh, alliteration. Yes. Yes, that's true. Um, so anyway, your food source is where you're going to be looking for the brown bears. That's what they're focused on mm-hmm. in the fall time. And if you can find a run of fish in a river, like a late run of salmon, that's probably going to be your best bet. Now, sometimes that'll be some beach hunting where, the, where there's like a creek mouth, but a lot of times you're going to be looking up into some of those rivers and you'll want to look for a little knoll or a knob that you can sit up and overlook like a large valley system where you have visibility down to the river up and downstream of yourself. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that will always be the same with any brown bear hunt is the scent is the king. If you can position yourself far enough away from where the bears are going to be that your scent is not going to be blowing directly into them and they're not going to blow out of the area. Right. You don't want to be walking around down in where you're going to be trying to make a stalk or an approach ahead of that time because they will smell you. They mm-hmm. will smell your footprints two days later and they'll leave and you won't get another chance at them potentially. Um, I've seen brown bears walk by my three-day-old boot tracks from rubber boots and they stick their nose in the sand and they smell it and they look up and around like they're nervous and they just walk away and I've never seen the bear after mm-hmm. that. So you need to be very, very careful still with your scent control, but finding a good glassing area um, to, to just overlook a good food source, like where the salmon right. are going to be, is going to be your primary tactic in the fall. Now, in some areas, 
you're going to be looking up off of the Salmon River. So you're going to be looking up into the higher country. And this is going to be where they're up and roaming mm-hmm. and really potentially scoping out a denning area. Yeah. And you're going to find them up on those foothills, just kind of moving around. And you'll have to just make a quick move. And you might have to cover a lot of country on a hunt like that. That's more typical for a little bit later season hunt mm-hmm. and for the type of area that you're going to be hunting. If you're dropped in near a salmon river that has fish, your best bet is likely going to be to hunt that area if okay. you have some visibility. If you're dropped in a higher area that has more elevated terrain off of the river bottom country and off of the ocean side, mm-hmm. then you're going to be finding those bears up more in the hill country and you'll glass them up in those patches of grass that'll all be brown and dead, but you'll you'll find them in between the alders, you know, as they're traveling through the okay. brush, they'll pop out for a hundred yards and walk through a clear spot and then go back into the brush. And then you've got to try to keep tabs on him and figure out where he's going to pop out into visibility, maybe get a shot mm-hmm. at him. Are those uh, brownies looking for berries at all? Um, they, they definitely can be in some areas, but a, a lot of the coastal areas after it freezes and goes dead like that, there's not a whole lot for berries. Not on like interior. Not like the interior. No. Yeah, it was not, just the other day. I mean, it's been freezing here for week and a half and yeah. I'm still picking berries off blueberries that are yeah. good to eat. Yeah. And the interior yeah. bears will be on those until they're covered in snow. Right. And even then some a little bit after that, and then they'll go up to den. Mm-hmm. But the interior bears are, in my experience, easier to find and predict than the coastal okay. bears are when you're hunting them in the high country. Okay. When they're up high, man, it's anybody's guess what those bears are mm-hmm. doing in the, in the fall time up in the high country, because they can, they can be just cruising. And they, I mean, we talked in the last episode about bears being able to cover the mountains. Mm-hmm. It is impressive how much ground these brown bears can cover. Like if they're leaving an area, you'll see him at the mouth of a valley, walking up valley to go up into the hills, and he won't stop till he goes out of view over the saddle right. two, three miles away. Like they, if they're on a mission to get up to the high country, they're mm-hmm. going and you're not going to stop them. And you're not going to catch them. If you're behind them, man, they can walk through that 12-foot alder brush like you cannot believe. And you're not just, you're just not going to catch them. Right. So you have to be in a position to cut one off if you're going to try to um, intercept one like that. Okay. That's more typical of like a rifle hunt. If you're bow hunting a brown bear in the fall, you're pretty much relegated to beach and river. And the beaches, they'll beach comb and they'll find some things to, to forage on on the beaches, you know, whether it's a dead whale or something like that, or a seal that washes up mm-hmm. if one gets killed by, a, by an orca or something like that. I've seen that before. Um, if you can find a whale that has bears on it, man, you are in luck. That's, that's your pot of gold if there's a big bear hitting it. Um, just treat that like a bear bait and just wait till a big one comes out and then make your stalk. Yeah. That, can be, that can be your golden ticket. Um, the other thing is with bow hunting is just to find a river with fish in it because that's where you're going to be able to get those, those close quarter encounters. Um, but it's going to be a lot of patience because even more so than rifle hunting, when you've got a bow hunter in the fall, um, you've got to get exponentially closer. That goes without saying, um, than a rifle hunter. And so you've really got to be inside that bubble. And if you blow him out, mm-hmm. then you're going to blow him out bad. You're, you're going you're gonna to bust him in the wind at 40 yards instead mm-hmm. of 150 or 300 yards on a rifle stock. So it's just something to keep in mind. You have to weigh your risks very carefully when you go on a stock with a bow hunter because, yeah, if you blow him out close, man, it, he's, 
he's probably never going to be seen again. Right. You'll see him going over the next mountain if you even see him again. Mm-hmm. He might just stay in the brush and disappear. Um, but that's kind of the tactic difference there. The weather is also a huge difference in the fall. You're going to encounter, very likely, you're going to encounter much worse weather in the fall than you yeah, will in the spring. Sense. The winds are going to be worse. You're probably going to deal with some snow. It's going to be a lot colder. And your gear set needs to be adjusted appropriately. Um, in the spring, on a hunt like that, let's just say a, a, a 10 to 14 day hunt, you could probably get away with using down as your insulation because you're probably going to get a few good days mixed in here and there, mm-hmm. at least in my, in, in my experience of doing it. I've usually gotten a few days here and there where I can dry out a down sleeping bag. Right. I used a down bag this spring guiding on the coast for brown bears. And I had enough dry days mixed into my hunts that even if I was damp or the bag was damp after a few days of, of it raining, um, I was able to put it outside on a spruce tree or something and dry it out in the sun after several days of it being damp. And so that wasn't a problem. In the fall, you could very easily go the entire length of a hunt and not have any days of sun to dry really? anything out. It, the weather tends to be a lot worse in the fall. I'm not saying that it couldn't be good, and, and you might luck out, yeah. but I would prepare for the worst and hope for the best in that situation. So with that in mind, I would probably stick with synthetic insulation on your fall hunt. You can do like me, and only on synthetic. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, and usually what I use anyway on most of my hunts is synthetics mm-hmm. because it performs the same or almost the same when, right. it's, when it's wet. You get that performance under um, compromised conditions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a great example here. My friend, Remy, that, yes. uh, that we've talked about yes. a little bit before on the show, um, he and I guide together in the spring, okay. and we're, we're good hunting buddies. And um, he went out moose hunting just prior to when I left for the field. Mm-hmm. And he was um, riding a four-wheeler, into a quite remote area. Had I not been guiding, I would have been with him. He was with a couple other folks. And anyway, they went way back deep into the back country. And he was crossing a river in his four-wheeler. And through a series of events that I won't explain, his four-wheeler got rolled in the river. And he went under with it. There's one I haven't done yet. And he had a meat wagon attached to the wheeler. And all of his gear and stuff was strapped to the four-wheeler racks. His, his Barney's pack and his rifle was on his back, I believe, or possibly in a gun boot. I don't remember. Um, but he went completely underwater and got pushed down river. Didn't get up out of the water until 300 yards downstream. Hmm. So he got Must pushed down. Moving river. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've been to the river of which he speaks. <laughs> Did he get across the river? He did eventually. Okay, good. Yeah, good. yeah. The, the, the other people that were with him ended up being able to get to him at the shallow spot where he got washed into, and then they stood up the four-wheeler, attached the, the, the winch cable to, uh, to another machine, and they were able to pull him across with his machine and meat wagon. Didn't lose any of his gear. Nothing got lost in the river, thankfully. Oh, good. He got pinned underneath of it a couple of times, pinned up against a boulder underneath the four-wheeler underwater. So needless to say, soaking wet drenched yeah and he said i got across the river 
jumped off the four-wheeler, ran around and collected firewood, started a fire within a couple of minutes, grabbed out my tarp out of my pack, and I left all my all of my base layers on, but I stripped off my wet outer layers, and he put on his his Barney's um, Frontier Gear of Alaska mm-hmm. Super Cub jacket, which is a two-layer Pertex waterproof face fabric that is pretty waterproof for what it is, and it's synthetic uh, Prima Loft silver, I believe, okay. puffy insulation. So it's synthetic insulation. And he wrapped up in his tarp and that jacket and whatever dry clothes he had in his pack that were in dry bags. Mm-hmm. Another good reason to keep all of your gear that you're not wearing in dry stuff sacks in your mm-hmm. pack. Little event sacks or something like that. Just like a little Sea to Summit yep. Sill Nylon yep. roll top bag. Um, you can get them anywhere from a one liter sack for all right. of your electronics right. and cords and things. All the way up to a, I don't know, probably a 20 liter or something. Yeah. Loophold has like some zippered stuff like yeah. that now too. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I, I like the looks of those ones from Loophold. But so he had all of his extra clothing in dry sacks and that um, that Frontier Gear of Alaska Super Cub puffy coat was in the dry sack. And so he put that on and then was able to warm himself back up next to the fire wrapped up in his tarp and his puffy coat. Mm-hmm. That would not have worked in a down jacket. Because all that water would have saturated the down right. and would not have allowed the synthetic insulation. It, it, it would not have wicked the moisture through the puffy like the synthetic mm-hmm. did. The down, when that vapor goes through that down, it just saturates the down right. fill. And then it loses loft, which then loses the insulation value. So having a synthetic um, insulation layer like that is, in my opinion, absolutely irreplaceable on hunts in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Some hunts I will bring down insulation, like on a sheep hunt where I'm not going to be doing a lot of wet weather camping. I don't think if I expect relatively decent weather, then I'll risk it and I'll bring down just because it's so much lighter and more packable. It's It's probably a third lighter than synthetic and it's a lot more packable. So much more packable. I got this new jacket in here that's synthetic. That's surprisingly... Yeah, I was going to get to that here in a second. Um, But having synthetic insulation could end up being a lifesaver, you know, quite literally. And in that sense for Mm -hmm. him, I'm sure it played a huge part in his ability to warm back up. Now, being able to start a fire is a huge deal. That's that's great. But had it been pouring rain, Mm -hmm. he might not have been able to get a fire going and you might have had to rely solely on your insulation to dry yourself back out, which I've done before just testing it. And it doesn't do nearly as well with down. It almost is useless when you when you climb into down gear like mm-hmm. that when you're soaking wet. Synthetic, it will wick the moisture through the garment yeah. and dry you out and retain its insulation value so you're not going to freeze right. in the process. Well, I think an important note is just the fact that he kept his base layers on because yeah. he knew that right. with his body heat, they would dry right out. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and putting on something like you know a synthetic jacket, it's going to actually start to wick it out of you. Right. And it's right. amazing how fast that happens. Yeah. Going from sweating yes. to, you know, to not sweating and then boom, you're dry. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's sweet having yeah. that kind of gear. So on this last moose hunt that I just got back from guiding, mm-hmm. I decided to bring a synthetic bag. Like I mentioned before, I brought my 15 degree mountain, um, Western mountaineering mm-hmm. sleeping bag in the springtime to guide uh, spring bear hunts because I was fairly confident that I would have enough dry weather to get away with that to dry it out if I needed to. 
and all of my other uh, insulation layers were synthetic. Right. So push comes to shove, I could always sleep in those if I had to inside of my down bag, if my down yeah. bag was soaked, right? So I have that redundancy there. One was down, one was synthetic. If I were to bring down insulation on a hunt, I would probably opt to bring a synthetic sleeping bag so that if that, that down sense, got yeah. wet, I could still dry it out in the synthetic bag at some point. Um, this fall, though, on that moose hunt, I brought a synthetic bag and synthetic puffy gear because I expected it to be wet a lot of the time. And with the snow and things like that, mm -hmm. I was able to sleep in my wet layers sometimes and be able to dry that out, no problem. Um, on this bear hunt that I'm going out to guide, I'm bringing my zero-degree synthetic marmot bag. Uh, it's a Trestles Elite Zero, and mm -hmm. it's not an expensive bag. I think it was like $250. Right. They're not that expensive. They are bulky and heavy, but they're not any bulkier or more heavy than anything else on the market that you'll find in the hunting industry lineup. Um, and to my knowledge, Kuyu only makes down bags. Stone Glacier only makes down bags. Um, First Light has their bags from Nemo. That yeah, are, that they, don't, are, they don't make bags. They right, sell. Right. They sell Nemo products such as tents and sleeping bags. Those are down bags. So... To my knowledge right now, and, and somebody out there, if you know of a company in the hunting industry specifically that makes a synthetic bag, let me know. But the only one that I know of is Kafaru. Okay. And they make their slick bag, which is synthetic insulation. And I, from my understanding, they are very good, high-quality synthetic bags. But they're not any lighter or any more packable than these marmots are. And the marmots are half the price of the Kafaru bags. And I've had the Zero now for a couple of years, and it's still mm -hmm. going strong. So I'm going to bring that again with, um, with the same layering system almost that I brought during moose season on this bear hunt. All synthetic puffy gear and a synthetic bag because I can't rely on there being a nice dry day. Right. A lot of times in the fall, you're going to get a lot more wet weather than you might in the spring and early summer hunts up here. So just keep that in mind. Um, make sure that you have layers that will work for you and dry you out should mm -hmm. you get wet because you probably won't have a fire, um, especially in a bear camp. I'm not bringing my Peaks tent and a, and a titanium wood stove on this bear hunt because I'm trying to keep my scent as low as possible. Oh, with, yeah. with, with brown bears, I don't ever have campfires. With moose, I don't care. It, it's never seemed to make a difference. But with bears... Their nose is their primary defense. And if they smell something off, even a natural wood smoke smell, I just want to eliminate that variable. That's just my preference. Right. Other guys, I'm sure, don't care. Um, you know, I, in my opinion, you can have a fire after you kill a bear. That's just, that's just how I run my bear camps when I hunt. So, good place to cook some of that bear. Yeah. Well, not coastal brown bear. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Black bear, maybe, but not coastal brown bear. Uh, but anyway, so with insulation in mind, we'll jump to the next thing uh, right after this break. Hammer Bullets produces what we at the Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great BCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. 
They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high-velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER to drop the hammer on your next adventure. So one thing that we haven't done on this show in a little while is gone into a deep dive about guns and ballistics and bows and arrows and kinetic properties of arrows. And bullets. And, and bullets. Right. So are, are, are you ready to dive into this? Let's dive in. Yeah. All right. So the question is often asked, and we, we've talked about it on the show before from a, from a listener that won a brown bear hunt. Right. Um, and he was asking if his 338, 378 Weatherby was going to be enough gun for a brown bear. And we said, I, I believe so. Yeah. Um, but what in our mind here at the show, and I know James is going to absolutely hate not being here yeah. and missing well, this discussion, but hey, that's, that's just how she goes. I'll have so, the same discussion with him. Yeah. Right? He can weigh in on this when I'm gone and, and say what he thinks. But I think we're pretty much all of the same mindset when it comes to bigger is better. Now let's talk about bows and arrows first, and we'll get that done and out of the way because okay. this is this is a pretty easy discussion. Now, Mo, you and I have both bow hunted quite a bit. We've yeah. both killed several bears with our bows over the years. We killed black bears over a bait. Yeah. And um your dad. Uh, was the guy that kind of taught both of us and trained us up in bear baiting. Yeah. And so he is he has also killed 98% of his bears with a bow. He's only killed a couple with a gun yeah. at this point. Yeah. And uh, upwards of 30 or more black bears with a bow mm -hmm. over a bait. And so that, that there there's a lot of collective bow hunting experience in our in, in our little circle here is my right. point. Right. So Everybody's going to have a different opinion about whether you need more arrow weight or less arrow weight and more speed or fixed blade broadhead versus expandable blade broadhead, cut on contact versus non-cut on contact mm -hmm. broadhead. We got into this a little bit with our good friend Brad Ivey yeah. on the show a number of episodes ago talking about bow hunting and archery equipment. But there is one common thing that you will see in the hunting industry when it comes to dangerous game with archery equipment and that is heavy arrows i've seen guys that have pulled it off with varying styles of broadheads mm -hmm. and you can certainly pull it off and kill a brown bear or a grizzly bear with different styles of broadheads and with even possibly a lighter arrow right. on a grizzly bear but when it comes to brown bears on the coast you're talking about potentially a thousand pound plus animal mm -hmm. in the fall when they're all fatted up on fish. They've put on hundreds of pounds since the spring. Brown bears can go from 700 pounds in the spring to 1,100 pounds wow. in the fall. That's a lot. They can put on hundreds of pounds of weight, of fat mm -hmm. storage to survive the winter and hibernation. And so that's a lot more resistance on your arrow yeah, going definitely. through a thousand pound animal versus a 700 pound animal. Mm -hmm. Even a 700 pound brown bear is still an immense animal. It's yeah. still a huge animal to kill with a bow. 
and the hide is tough. Penetrating through a hide that is caked up with sand and dirt and debris dulls broadheads quickly. And a lot of guys will get half shaft penetration. We'll just call it that. Okay. So on a 30 inch arrow, you might get 15 inches. Mm -hmm. That might seem like a lot of penetration and that would be practically through and through on a whitetail deer. Yeah. That'd be both lungs. But on a brown bear, you're talking about a one lung shot Mm -hmm. because the chest is as wide as this podcast table on some of these big brown bears. They're monstrous animals. Since we're not on film here, this podcast table is like three feet wide. Yeah. They're, they're huge animals. Yeah. And so 15 inches is going to get you a third of the way through that bear's chest cavity. It's not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And so you have to look at your arrow setup first. It all starts with the arrow. Bow setup, yes. You need to be able to shoot, I would probably say, 60 pounds is probably right. as light as I would say for a brown bear, for mm-hmm. a coastal brown bear. We're not talking about interior grizzlies that will max out at 500 pounds. We're talking about coastal brown bears and trophy class brown bears. So a nine-footer or bigger mm-hmm. is what most guys are looking for. Some guys are going to be less picky. They'll shoot an eight or eight and a half foot, and that's, that's totally fine, but that's mm-hmm. a different animal. For the hopes and dreams bear, we'll call it, we're looking at nine foot or better for a, for a real trophy class animal for most people. Yeah. And so your arrow weight, provided that your draw weight is 60 pounds or so, some guys can shoot 70, 75, 80 pound bows and be totally fine. If you can do that, that's great. You know, if you can do that after you wake up in a cold morning after being stiff in a sleeping bag and not sleeping well all night. Yes. That's yes. what really makes a difference. Or sitting shivering on a glassing knob exactly. for 11 hours Just that day. Just because you can walk out your backyard and do that in 60, 70, 80 degrees does not mean you can do it in 30 degrees. Right. Exactly. And that, that's a great point. I didn't even think about mentioning that. So- you know, say you're glassing all day mm-hmm. and you're just overlooking an area and then boom, you got to go on a stock. You make your move. You're into, I don't know, 25 yards on a, on a trophy brown bear and you've been freezing cold all day long. You're wet. You're tired. You're shivering. You can't get that 80 pound draw weight back. You can't get past that wall. Mm-hmm. And there are stories of guys that have encountered exactly that situation. Right. So manageable draw weight, right? You can gauge that as like manageable recoil for a rifle system. Mm-hmm. If you can't accurately shoot a 338, 378 Weatherby because the recoil is too punishing, right. Right. then you shouldldn't shoot that. You're better off shooting that brown bear with a 30-06 than you are with that gun that you can't handle the recoil on and that you flinch mm-hmm. every single time you pull a shot off. So back to the bows, provided that you have 60 pounds minimum draw weight is, is what I would probably say for a brown bear hunt. You need to look at your arrow weight. Mm-hmm. Your forward of center weight. Now, we're not going to get into too much detail about arrow build because I'll be saying more than I know, realistically. Right. Um, but if you look up Ed Ashby and the Ashby Foundation, they go over the edge as far as forward of center weight. So basically, mm-hmm. you're looking at the momentum of the arrow and the kinetic energy that that arrow carries. And that gets more with weight and speed combined, yeah. right? Well, the forward of center weight, picture like you're throwing a lawn dart. You want the front end of that, of that dart to be heavy so that when you throw it, the front stays going forward, it right? It pulls the rear forward. Exactly. Here, here's a great example. Okay. Um, there's this preacher that tells a story about a, being in a tow truck, pulling mm-hmm. a truck and, tra- truck and camper, very, very heavy camper up a hill. Yes. Straps broke on the, on the tow truck. And the truck and trailer went back. He said it went right back down that hill and it went straight. They don't go straight when you're trying to back them straight, but it went straight. And I've Mm -hmm. always thought when I've heard him tell that story is it went straight, 
because the trailer was pulling the truck, mm-hmm. just like it'll go straight when the truck's pulling the trailer. Exactly. When the higher weight is in front, mm-hmm. it allows it to pull yes. and keep it straight, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So you want that weight in the front. You don't want to have, let's just say, a 600 grain arrow and have the weight evenly distribute all the way across the shaft of the arrow, mm-hmm. right? That wouldn't work. No arrow is designed with, with an even percentage of weight front to back. They're all nose heavy. Mm-hmm. But the heavier you go at the front end of the arrow, so like a brass insert and then a sleeve, a collar on the outside yeah. of the shaft, and then, an, and then a heavier than average broadhead. Now you have to up your arrow spine, which ups your overall arrow weight to support that front weight. That, that front weight. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your spine is too weak. If you add a heavier than normal broadhead and you add a brass insert and now all, all that weight is up front, you can't shoot the same spine arrow as if you'd be shooting 150 grain point and now you're shooting a 300 grain total total combined weight point. Right now the shaft is too too um, too weak because when that string applies pressure to the knock and right. forces it forward, that shaft is going to bend. You have that archer's right. paradox where the shaft bends in flight. That'll bend too much. It, it it it'll compromise your flight and it might break your arrow shaft entirely if you have too much point weight and not enough spine. So you up your spine and then you up your point weight. And most guys that I've seen, and, and there, are, there are a lot of guys out there that have killed great archery brown bears here in the last number of years. Um, Cole Kramer on Kodiak Island, okay. uh, Kramer's Guide Service, he is pretty well known for taking a lot of archery brown bear hunters. Whether or not he enjoys it um, or, or, or dislikes bow hunters as a guide, I, I don't know. Um, another popular one that guys will probably know of is Lance Kromberger. Um, and he's, he's, uh, he's the one that's guided, um, the guy from Kuyu, I think it's Brennan Burns. Mm-hmm. He's killed a couple of Boone and Crockett brown bears with his compound bow now. Um, but those guys, the, the common thing that you'll see with all of their bow hunting kills on these big brown bears mm-hmm. is they shoot heavy arrows. And another common theme that you'll see is, um, single bevel broadheads. Now the guy from Kuyu, Brendan, um, He's shot his last couple, I believe, with, um, oh boy, I, I'm spacing out now. I, I believe the last one he shot was with a three-blade broadhead. Okay. It, it wasn't a G5 Montec style. It was a real long, sweeping curve, very, very gradually curved um, three-blade. Okay. I, I think VAP archery. Is, I, I don't know. I haven't heard of that before. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to look this up while we're going here and, and try to maintain my focus. Um, but he was shooting a three-blade broadhead. We're going to look this up here real fast and verify this. We'll Vantage point archery? Uh, I believe so. VPA? VPA, maybe. That, that might or be right. Or there's a VAP hunting arrow by Victory Archery. All kinds of information for Vintage, those of you listening. Yeah, VPA, VPA archery. Um, I'm looking on their website here. Uh, I don't see it. They right do have now. a single bevel on there. Yeah, his was a three blade. And like, it was a real long, sweeping curve broadhead. I'm real interested in some, looking at some of these. Actually, I like the way some of these look. But. Yeah, um, three blade. They've got 21 different three blades. Wow. Wow. Well, um, well they got options. Yeah. So at, at any rate, I don't see it on here. It might not be be the right brand. Um, anyway, so Brendan shot his with a non, um, non single bevel, right? It was, it was a double bevel, three bladed broadhead. Um, 
but most of the guys that you'll see are shooting these Ashby broadheads. They've got several different models. They've got the Maasai. They've got the Ashby Original. They've got several different kinds of two-blade, single-bevel broadheads. And so the idea is, if you have a double-bevel blade, picture on like a regular old pocket, and you were to cut down in a soft medium, mm-hmm. like in a bowl of jello, and you just let the weight of that blade cut, it's going to go straight down, right? So with even pressure, it just goes straight down right. in the cut. With a single bevel, only one side of the blade surface is sharpened. Mm-hmm. So when you cut straight down with the natural weight of that object, it's going to follow whatever uh, angle that right. bevel is at. So it'll cut down at a curve naturally. You can, in theory, the theory is that you can get a single bevel blade sharper than a double bevel blade. Mm-hmm. And the Ashby Foundation has done years and years of research and shooting into animals and right. testing this theory. Dangerous game in Africa, Cape Buffalo, brown bears, you name it, they've shot it with a single bevel head. And the effect is when you have two blades with corresponding single bevel sharpening, mm-hmm. When it pierces into a medium, it has a rotating effect. And so you match that up with the helical twist of your fletchings mm-hmm. because your, your arrow naturally spins one way or the other in front. Right. Just because you're right-handed does not mean that your arrow spins right uh, in, in flight. Some arrows spin left, some arrows spin right. It can depend on the bow and on the fletching setup. It just depends. Talk to your local archery shop guru yeah. about that. Um, but that's something that I learned here just recently is that not every arrow spins the same way. So you need to match up the helical fletch of your arrow to the direction that the broadhead will then spin and cut and rotate mm-hmm. once it makes contact with the flesh of the animal. The idea there is that when you hit bone, it doesn't kill all of your kinetic energy. That's what causes further penetration in an animal. You have momentum of the arrow. When it makes contact with the animal Mm -hmm. and you hit bone, all that energy is just applied into the point of that arrow. Right. And it's not really spinning anymore. It's not twisting. It's just trying to push it through. Just 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 trying to jam that broadhead through that bone and then keep going, which usually results in if you hit a rib square on, it'll dramatically decrease penetration. Mm -hmm. And if you hit a shoulder bone, it will entirely stop penetration. Yeah. With a single bevel broadhead design, Ed Ashby has proven in his ways, Mm -hmm. and you can look up all kinds of videos about this, um, that when a single bevel head that is rotating makes contact with bone, it goes in and it splits the bone lengthwise. Or laterally, depending right. on which point of angle it makes contact in the twist of the flight. Mm-hmm. And it splits and breaks the bone, then allowing the arrow a gap to fly through and continue to penetrate into the vitals. Yeah, cut right on through. So you're going to keep going. He also has what's called a tanto tip or a tanto, depending on whatever pronunciation. Right. So that is a variation of a tip design. So where you don't have a broadhead that's sharpened out to a needle point. Because that needle point will have a tendency when you hit heavy bone break off. to just curl over or even break mm-hmm. off if it's brittle, depending on your grade of steel. So with a tanto tip, it's more of a chisel, if you will. Yeah. It's sharpened 
it's still ultra razor sharp, but it's not as much of a needle point. It's sharpened back almost a little bit more of a rounded look to it. And it's a lot more reinforced. Therefore, it's stronger. It's thicker steel there. And when that tip makes contact with heavy bone, it will not curl and bend over or, heaven forbid, just break off, right? right? So the idea there is so that you can make contact with heavy bone if you need to on a shot. If all you've got is a quartering two shot on a 10-foot brown bear, you can take that shot through the shoulder if you have to. If you don't have any other option, you can put that broadhead through the shoulder and you have confidence that if you hit that heavy shoulder bone or the shoulder blade on a bear, Mm -hmm. you will go through it. Now, a lot of times on a broadside shot, if you hit a shoulder blade, you're too high altogether anyway. Yeah. But if you've got an extreme high angle down shot that you've got to shoot quartering two and high into the bear, Mm -hmm. you might have to go through that shoulder blade. And in that instance, shooting a single bevel heavy arrow will go through that bone. Right. Now, you've talked a lot about Ed Ashby. Yeah. And I like a lot of what he's done in a lot of his studies. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another another name, okay. Iron Will Outfitters. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And they're kind of the... It, it, it's interesting, because at first, you might hear their argument and think they're the opposite mm-hmm. of Ed Ashby and what he says about aero flight and things like that. And what you begin to realize is they basically agree with almost everything that Ed Ashby teaches and talks about, except for they, they talk a lot more about tuning Yes. In actual physics, because I believe he was like a physics engineer. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, he has a background in yeah, that somewhere. Yeah. And um, anyhow, so he, the, the owner of Ironwell Outfitters, and, you know, he's got a whole team there and they make broadheads and they look amazing. They're also like 125 bucks for three mm. versus I can walk into Sportsman's and grab a pack of G5 Montex for 100 well for like 40 bucks. Yeah, $60, I think, is the new M3s. So I have the G the, the G5s that I have, which are the original G5 or whatever, but the carbon, I think I paid $40 or $50 a pack for. Yeah. Um, and they're great broadheads, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for what you need, they may do all you need. But like um, when we had Brad on, mm-hmm. he talked about tuning. And tuning is making sure that your arrow flies straight. Right. And high OFOC is good, and it's important, especially... When I believe when it comes to penetration. Yes. But if your arrow's not flying straight, then if your arrow's flying straight, it's not as important. Because, and that's where tuning comes in. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't personally done this, but I've watched and listened to a lot of stuff talking about it. But when you shoot your arrow through a piece of paper, mm-hmm. right, if it creates a single hole yeah. where you can see the broadhead cut and that's what the arrow flies through, you're good. Mm-hmm. It's tuned. But if you shoot your arrow through a piece of paper and it bends and tears the paper, it moves, Yes. then you're not tuned. Right. And that's where a lot of your stability over distance and a lot of those things come in. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're getting into nitty gritty, I thought I'd bring that up. Yeah. No, that, that's, looking that's at, a great point. What you're looking at right now. I was trying to find what, uh, what broadhead we were talking about earlier. Oh, I, I can't yeah. seem to find it. I know I've got a photo of it somewhere. I do really like, I'm looking at Iron Will's website right now. They have wide series broadheads. Yeah. Single bevel with, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's a two blade with bleeders. Two and an eighth inch. Wow. Cut. That's a wide cut. I really like that. Yeah. And the the high FOC and weight come in a lot more when it comes to when you when you hit the animal, right? Right. Like you're talking about breaking the bone. That momentum. But, yeah. you know, we talk a lot about heavyweight bullet versus speed. Right. 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 And the same thing is important in it with, a, with a bow, but for a different reason. Mm-hmm. With a 
a bullet kills by blunt force trauma. And people like to talk about energy because of hydro- hydrostatic shock, right? Yeah. How much of that shock is transferred to the animal? How much does it disrupt the vital function? Right. That doesn't happen with a bow. Right. It does not happen with an arrow. Yeah. An arrow, your weight and your speed translate to how well that arrow cuts through mm-hmm. the animal. Right. Your speed and weight, in my opinion, are a lot more important. Weight is more important than speed in a bow mm-hmm. by, by far. I totally agree with because you. Because that weight is carrying more energy and it has more energy to cut it mm-hmm. through the animal. Yes. Especially if you dull your broadhead on impact either through a tough hide or a bone. Right. Right. And, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, that they'll, they'll talk about expandable broadheads. It's not a cut on contact broadhead. No. And it's not hard to find multiple videos out there in circulation, mm-hmm. whether it's on YouTube or if you go on Rockslide or complaints about um, expandable broadheads that did not penetrate as advertised, right? Yep. And these guys are shooting light, fast arrows. Mm-hmm. Guys are all about speed in the compound world. Now, I grew up shooting a trad bow. I grew up shooting a recurve and a right. longbow. And so, to me, having a 650 grain or 700 grain arrow out of a 55 pound recurve bow was nothing like that. That was no yeah, big deal. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, we had a subscription to Traditional Bow Hunter magazine when I was a kid. And I remember reading articles of guys that traveled to Australia to, uh, to hunt water buffalo mm-hmm. with longbows. And there was one guy that uh, killed a water buffalo with a 90 pound longbow and a 1,000 grain arrow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you talk about shooting a two by four through the air just about. That, that arrow right. is heavy. Like it's, it's noticeably heavier than a lot of these guys are trying to get in that 400 grain weight yeah. range of a compound bow. The, the difference in the ability to penetrate is astronomically different between a thousand grain mm-hmm. arrow and a 400 grain right. arrow. But weight aside, I would be... I would still be comfortable shooting a brown bear with a bow with a 500 grain arrow or less within reason of your draw weight if I had a quality cut on contact broadhead. Mm -hmm. I would shoot a brown bear with my current compound bow setup. Mm -hmm. My arrow is 600 and something grains. I don't know if it's 620 or 650. It's it's something in there. I'm shooting a full metal jacket, Easton arrow. Okay. With 150 grain broadhead with a factory insert. It's not that heavy of a setup mm-hmm. and it's a full length shaft. So a, a lot of you guys out there will probably be able to tell me what my arrow weight is before I even know it. Right. Um, just off of those specs right there. Um, but that arrow is, I, I believe it's 600, give or take a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's, it's right up in that 600 grain range, which is heavy for a mm-hmm. compound bow. And I'm shooting just under 70 pounds of draw weight. That's, right. that's where I'm set up at. That's what I'm tuned in at. And it shoots great. Um, and I shoot, like I said, I, I've shot those G5 M3 broadheads, which is the old G5 Montec just without vents. So it's a solid yeah, okay, steel broadhead. Okay. I've got the ones with the vents. Yeah, there's no vents in mine. Um, anyway, I would shoot a brown bear with that setup because of the broadhead. Mm-hmm. It's a cut on contact. And when I sharpen mine, I don't sharpen them to a needle point. I actually round off the tips of mine when I'm sharpening. So you've got a rounded, like, so a, that, like the edge of a knife. Right. So they're not quite a needle point. And I've shot clean through the bears that I've shot with those broadheads. Like 
through and through. The arrows do not stop. Mm -hmm. And I've hit rib in and out on one of them. And it shot 30 yards past the bear and stuck in a tree when I did that. Broke a rib in and a rib out. And it didn't, didn't even seem to slow it down hardly. You can just hear the, 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 the dull, dry smack of those yeah. ribs being hit. Um, so I, I would be comfortable shooting a brown bear with that setup, with that broadhead, because of the broadhead. The broadhead is what makes the arrow, in my opinion. If somebody doesn't want to change their arrow weight, if they say, look, I've got my speed, I've got my accuracy, I've got my tuning, and my arrow is 450 grains, mm -hmm. and I want to shoot a coastal brown bear. Maybe you're an Alaska resident, you don't have to have a guide, and you say, I'm going to shoot a brown bear with my bow. That's totally fine, but don't shoot your rage expanding broadhead. Don't shoot right. your... And I don't even know how many other expandable broadheads oh, there are were, out there. It what seems were the like, ones Brad was shooting just so we can make him mad? <laughs> um, man, I, I, I don't, don't even know. What they I, were. I don't remember. It was a common. Yeah. But I don't remember what they I, were. I don't remember. Um, but it, there, there's all kinds of different gimmicky expandable yeah. broadheads. It seems like every, every popular broadhead maker has expandable broadheads. Right. And those are probably fine for 90% of what you're going to do. But when you come to Alaska, it's a different ball game. And there are guys that do it with moose. You see guys like Jim Shockey have shot moose with expandables for mm -hmm. quite a number of years. He doesn't seem to have any bad results that we know of. Um, there's always the stories that guys shoot them and they don't recover a moose and they don't talk about it, right? Right. That happens. And that happens with good broadheads with poor shot placement, by the way. Mm -hmm. Shooting a good broadhead or a good bullet for that matter doesn't mean you're going to kill it if you shoot yeah. it in the kidneys, yeah. right? So I, I would be of the, of the mindset that pick your broadhead first. As long as you've got enough draw weight, um, 60 pounds or more for a big brown bear, mm -hmm. and then pick a really good cut-on-contact broadhead. High-grade steel. Make sure it is razor, razor sharp. That's the number one most important thing with your broadhead. You get a good broadhead, and then you learn how to sharpen it. You need to be able to hold up a piece of paper in front of yourself and just slice off chunks of that paper effortlessly. That's sharp. Not to where you've got to push hard on your arm to cut hair. That's not sharp enough. So I think that pretty much covers the whole broadhead and arrow weight thing. Um, heavier is better. If you're going to build a setup around that for brown bear hunting, heavier is better and pick a high quality cut on contact broadhead. Yeah. If you can, try to experiment with those single bevels. But uh, the one thing I will say is Wholly expensive. Those Ashby broadheads are not cheap. How much are they? Um, the three pack was a couple hundred bucks. I think. Well, the last in time that I case, checked. I'd go with Iron Will. Yeah, Iron Will has some good ones out there. I, I really like these these wide series. They have some that are single bevel. Mm -hmm. um, looks like. Do those have bleeders as well, or just two? You blades? can get them with and without the bleeders. It looks like the bleeders are three quarters of an inch because the main blade is an inch and an eighth off the side of the broadhead. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of cutting surface. That, I mean, but I would wonder how much those bleeders would impede penetration if you hit a heavy bone. Because it, after it breaks that bone yeah. going through it, those bleeders are going to catch. You know, I mean, that, you know? that's why they sell them with and without, right? Yeah, yeah that, that's going to be up to you. Obviously, you want a perfectly broadside shot into the ribs. You don't want to yeah. have to shoot through a shoulder, but might be your only option too. So it, take in, that into consideration. In that wide single bevel, they sell up to a 200 grain. Mm. And, yeah. and you can get up to a 250 in the regular wide, but that's a double bevel. Gotcha. That's a heavy head. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is heavy. Ashby sells up to a 300 grainer. Well, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, you, yeah. if you really wanted to beef up your, your forward of center weight, you can get a 200 grain broadhead and then a 100 grain or mm-hmm. 150 grain or 200 grain insert or outsert, depending on which company you go with. Right. I know Iron Will has several um, um, weight components that you can add to the front of an arrow to, right. to beef it up weight-wise. So, on to firearms. Yeah. This is, you know, this is going to be... Simple and something we've talked about before, but your firearm should be reconsidered between spring and fall brown bear hunting. The outfitter that I started working for uh, several years ago told me an interesting thing when I first started for him. He said, I switch guns when I'm guiding fall hunts than when I'm guiding spring hunts. So in the spring, he has no problem guiding with a 375 H&H Magnum. Mm-hmm. or even a 338 win. However, in the fall, he said he won't go anything smaller than a 416, and he prefers a 458. That's See, a lot of guys would go... I, I would imagine most guys would be more going from like a 300 to 338 to the 375. Mm-hmm. 416 is big. Yeah. It's, 458 is really big. Yeah, that's elephant big. So I asked him, I said, well, what's the reason for that? And he said, well... Because a bear might weigh four or 500 pounds more in the fall. Mm-hmm. And they can be a lot harder to kill in the fall than they are in the spring. In the springtime, they're all pretty lean. They've burned off most of their fat in hibernation. Yep. And that bullet is going to easily get wherever it needs to go with a 338 or a 375. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that you have to switch up your guns, but it's just something to just keep in mind. And if you're buying a gun, brand new for a brown bear hunt in the fall, I would look at it a little bit differently than you would look at it in the spring. In the spring, we'll just give an example. You're going to have a little bit higher chance of possibly a little bit longer shot because you're just finding them in those rut grounds. They're going to be on the beaches. You're going to be searching them out. They're going to be on the move. In the fall, there's a good chance that you'll find them on a river if you're hunting them over Mm -hmm. a salmon river your quarters are going to be a lot more tightly confined. Your shots are more likely to be inside 100 yards. And you're dealing with a bear that's 400 pounds plus heavier in the fall than he was in April or May. So should you bring more gun? Should you choose a tougher bullet? Right. So in the spring, even a 300 wind mag might do the trick. And, you know, a well-placed bullet out of a 300 wind mag will kill a brown bear even in the fall, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to do it the same as a 375 H&H or up will do. In the springtime, anything from a 300 to a 338 will be fine. I used my 338 Weatherby RPM this spring with no problem on a couple of bears. Zero problems with that gun. Uh, with that 205 grain bullet, which honestly is is a bit light for for most people's considerations right. for brown moving, bears, it's moving pretty fast. It is moving fast, and that was what um, kind of gave me a little more peace of mind once I recovered that one out of a brown bear mm-hmm. that I shot this spring to back up a client, um, and it sacked that bear. I mean, it it put him down. The shot went underneath the spine and into the lungs but it was kind of a high angle mm-hmm. quartering shot as it was running away up a bank and where it entered the shock of those pedals coming off and that rapid expansion in the first 
you know, number of inches mm-hmm. inside the bear's uh, chest cavity, that shock um, disrupted the spine and, and, and killed the bear just yeah, let's, immediately. Let's dead talk right about there. that for a minute because the, uh, you know, a lot of guys talk about energy mm-hmm. and energy is not becoming, it, it's becoming less and less popular, I think, to talk about mm-hmm. in hunting, but it's still widely, re- you know, oh, I'm going to shoot the animal with such and such and hit it with this much energy. Yeah. But you can shoot a, uh, you could shoot a moose with a, um, with a 338 Lapua mm-hmm. with a, uh, 285 uh, grain bullet. With a 285 FMJ and it go right through that moose. And yeah, it may have had a certain amount of energy when it hit that moose, but it's going to be containing most of that energy and carrying it right through and not doing right. anything to the moose with it. Right. It'll poke a hole. Moose will die one day. Yep. But if you, what, what, where energy comes in is when it, what it does when it hits the animal. Mm-hmm. You want that energy dumped in the vitals mm-hmm. because it, it's hydrostatic shock, mm-hmm. right? It disrupts the vitals. He said it disrupted the spine. And you only get that when the bullet expands. When the bullet expands. And the design of the hammers is fast, rapid, immediate expansion. Yeah. Because the faster the expansion. The more dramatic. The more dramatic. Energy dump. Yeah. The energy dump. Yeah. So the slower your bullet's going, even if it's a heavier bullet, it may not have the same amount of energy dump and dramatic just. Yeah. Displacement. Displacement, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's going to disrupt, like you said, it disrupted right. the spine because it was so strong. Right. There's a lot of bullets. Mm-hmm. You could have shot that bear within the same place. It wouldn't have had the same result. Right. Yeah, I agree. So a good example is this last moose that, mm-hmm. that, that my client and I were able to kill. Um, when I had to shoot that moose, he was headed for the river. Right. My second shot, I tucked up a little bit farther forward trying to hit that offside shoulder. Yeah. My first shot was in the back of the lungs, just through the ribs. Um, my, my second shot, I gave him a little more lead because he was really moving mm-hmm. and I hit him up behind that front shoulder on my side. And then it went up through the far side shoulder and I found it underneath the hide. It had poked a little hole and I found the bullet sticking out of the offside shoulder mm-hmm. hide at, at the front of the shoulder. So it went through, took out the, the, uh, the confluence of the lungs at the front of the animal mm-hmm. and went through that and disrupted all that vital function there. That massive controlled expansion and that huge energy dump that you get with those hammers from shedding those pedals and then that shank continuing on through, that permanent wound cavity, you know, okay, when you see a bullet go through ballistics gel. Exactly what I was thinking. You see that massive massive um, expansion, that yeah. big air bubble, and then it collapses and there's smoke that comes out the entrance hole and the bullet keeps on going deeper mm-hmm. into the gel. But as the bullet continues on, there's no big permanent wound cavity farther into the gel, like past 15 inches. Mm-hmm. But that first 15 inches is where you get all of your expansion. That's where all of that energy dump occurs. And that's right. what the hammer bullets do. When I shot that moose, it knocked the wind out of him. I could hear him as he collapsed and hit the ground. Yeah. You know, all the air went out of him there. He, he got smashed with that bullet. And the same thing happened with that brown bear. When I shot him, all that energy dump just immediately. Right. And what I've heard Steve from Hammer describe that as, and I, I don't know if this is exactly what's happening, but it could be. And it's, it's a valid theory, is that when you get that much um, hydraulic pressure of the fluids, mm-hmm. It gives the animal a stroke because it spikes their blood pressure yeah. and it, 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 it pressurizes that, that chest so. cavity 
And it, it strokes them out, as what Steve said. Now there's an ancient... It's a very I interesting ancient, idea. It's not that ancient, but there's a, one of the Soviet methods of torture mm. that ended in death was uh, to they'd suspend a victim's arms and legs okay. and slowly work them with, say, like ace bandage type material. Yeah, yep. From, say, from the, on the hands, from the wrists mm-hmm. up to the shoulders and the legs from, yep. the, from, from the ankle all the way up to the thigh. Yep. And all the way up to the waist. And what that did is they'd slowly push all the blood out yeah. and get that victim to a point where they couldn't feel their arms and legs anymore. And they leave them that way long enough, it'll, they'll die. Yeah. Because, you know, or they'll lose their limbs. They'll survive, but they'll lose their limbs. Right. And, well, you know, you convince them of that and then they tell you what you need to tell them. And if you want them to live, you slowly remove the, you know, one arm at a time. You slowly work them back into circulation. Yeah. But if you rapidly just rip all that ace bandage off, it'll kill them. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, all that blood, everything's being returned, mm-hmm. you know, so it could be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that sudden spike of blood pressure yeah. where it's not supposed to be. Right. That's a very interesting comparison. Yeah. I, that, I thought so. You yeah. can thank Jack Carr from, for that one. I learned about that from his books. <laughs> well, so anyway, the idea there is that controlled expansion from a bullet and a cartridge that will get the bullet into the vitals. Mm-hmm is what you want. You don't want a bullet that'll just shoot straight through something, right? So you have to have expansion. Right. You don't want too much expansion and the bullets just come apart, like with a match bullet, say, like with a burger yeah, design. Yeah. Like like a burger VLD hunting bullet um, is designed to expand extremely fast and then tumble, right? What's left of it just tumbles through the animal. Yeah. And the nose... And the entirety of that cup and core bullet is just designed to just come apart. It's almost designed to implode instead of expand outward. So that nose is going to um, crush inward. And then Mm -hmm. what's left of the bullet will just come apart inside the animal. And it's it's killed by fragmentation, which is unreliable at best. It is. Because sometimes those bullets don't expand and you'll get guys that'll just shoot straight through something. Right. And the thing with that fragmentation is it doesn't, it dumps the energy, but it dissipates off so quickly and in all those little pieces that it doesn't create that cavitation. Yeah. It doesn't create that massive expansion mm-hmm. and then right. suction effect. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that's why I've been okay with shooting that 338 mm-hmm. with a 205 because the blend of velocity and the bullet design, right. I'm confident enough right now. I haven't had an animal yet and I've shot you know, over a thousand pound moose with it. I'm sure it was over a thousand pounds. Every bit of it, yeah. And I've shot brown bears and I've shot black bears with it. And the effect is always the same. It just zaps them. It just puts them out Mm -hmm. almost immediately. As long as the bullet is put in the vitals, it does the same thing. Right. So you don't necessarily have to go up in cartridge. And that's what I was kind of getting back to here. That that old outfitter that I I was working for Mm -hmm. at the time there, Um, his solution to a bigger, heavier bear was to change cartridges. He was going to go from either a 250 grain in a 338, like a 250 grain partition, okay, or a 375 H&H with a 300 grain um, Barnes or Swift Mm A-frame to then go up in bullet weight to like a 416 Remington with a 400 grain A-frame or a 458 Win Mag with a 500 grain bullet. His solution was... It's thicker, it's heavier, so I've got to penetrate deeper into it with a bigger bullet. On traditional bullets. Right. With traditional bullets, that would be the way I would think of it as well. 
Not necessarily saying that I wouldn't shoot a full bear with a 338 or a 375. With the right bullet, it will work just fine. Right. I, I, I don't personally subscribe to that theory, but there are a lot of guys that do, and that's, that, that's personal preference. Um, a good 375 Magnum is really all you need to kill a brown bear. I don't think you need more than that. I don't think that you need a 416 to mm-hmm. stop a brown bear. It's a better stopping gun. Like yeah. for a charge only situation, of course, right. more is better. One out of 470 nitro double at that point. Right. Well, hey, Buffalo bore and hammer, good Buffalo bore is supposed to be loading uh, 600 nitro with that shock hammer. Really? Hammer designed a shock ha- hammer, designed a shock hammer for Buffalo bore. It's a 600 grain for, for a 600 nitro. Wow. And they're not, I was looking at their website. It doesn't look like it's available yet, but hammer announced that. Wow. So you can purchase that on the website. If you've got a 600 nitro and you need some bullets for it. <sighs> Wow. Yeah, that's you impressive. About, you talk about some expansion. Yeah, that's some stopping power right yeah. there. You've got that's the big impressive. weight and you've got the, the massive capitation. Yeah, that's impressive. I, I'm interested to see how that works on some elephants or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Man, I wish I could test that on some African critters. I mean, just, I'm just going to see what happens when you shoot a brown bear with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to buy the rifle first. That's like 20 grand. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so uh, back to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, 375 H&H has kind of been the gold standard for Alaskan guide guns for brown bear hunting for a long time. Um, 338 is also very, very popular. And that's because the recoil on a 375 H&H is pretty manageable for a dangerous game cartridge. It's at the lower end of what an African PH would be able to carry. It actually doesn't meet a lot of the minimum standards that African professional hunters, guides basically, Mm -hmm. need to have in a guide rifle. For a lot of those guys, they have to start with like a 458 Win Mag or 458 lot. So the 375 H&H doesn't even qualify because it's not a big enough bullet and it's not going fast enough with enough energy. Right. So they've got to go even larger. But for us, brown bears, while they are a dangerous game animal, they don't require as much cartridge and bullet weight to get good penetration in. So for the sake of what we're talking about here today, we're going to talk about 375s or less. Okay. And if you're going to Alaska or, or coming here to Alaska, or if you're an Alaska resident and you want to start hunting brown bears, what do you reasonably need to ethically and safely kill a brown bear with a hunting rifle? And that's different than a guide rifle. Mm-hmm. This is not a stopping rifle necessarily. And I need to keep that in mind. But for a hunting rifle, we're talking about you are in control of where the first shot goes. You can dictate, all right, he's quartering to me. I've got a 30 6 I'm not going to take that shot because if I hit the shoulder, I might not go all the way back into the lungs like I want to, right? Because I don't have enough right. momentum. I'm shooting a slower bullet with a lot less mass. So my momentum is a lot lower. Um, with a 375 H&H, you can pretty much pick your shot angle and you, as long as you're shooting the right bullet, like a 270 grain shock hammer, right. um, that's going to get you anywhere you need to go. That, that'll be just fine. So let's start at the low end. What do you think would be the minimum if you were going to go brown bear hunting for yourself mm-hmm. and you had, a, you had a friend with a backup gun, say a 375, say it was me. Okay. And you were going to shoot a brown bear. What would be the least potent cartridge and bullet weight combo that you would want to shoot and why? 
Hmm. This is highly personal. This is highly personal. But we're going to step on a lot of toes, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> hmm. That's a hard. That's a hard question. So, I would probably go for a slower but bigger, like a forty-five seventy, hmm. if I was going minimum. Okay. Um, so you're thinking minimum for velocity. That's velocity. Okay. Be like a forty-five seventy. I've got some. 275 loads that mm-hmm. are moving about um hammers hammers yep. that are moving about 20 i can't remember what i was getting 22 or 2400 feet per second wow that's pretty quick and i mean it's it, it's it's a moving bullet especially out of a 45 i thought 70. it was like 22 or 2250 it might be that it, that might be that yeah. i think they say you can get up to 24 but i didn't work that hard to get up there i got to yeah. 22 and i was happy and you've got an 18 inch barrel and i've got an 18 inch barrel so that's good yeah right that's really good yeah plenty good um well above factory yeah specs. and i wasn't it doesn't even kick hard mm-hmm. um that or I don't think, you know, caliber wise, I'd want to go less than a thirty. Mm-hmm. Probably like a thirty out six. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to go any slower than like an out six. Yeah, that's probably what I would say is what smallest. bullet weight would you steer to in an out six? Brown bear, mm-hmm. probably one eighty. Yeah, I think a one eighty is what I'd want to stick with. Yeah, that's probably where I would land as well because you're still going to get a decent amount of velocity. Mm-hmm. Twenty seven hundred. Yeah, but. You're, you know, but you still got enough weight mm-hmm. to carry that heavier bullet, like we talked about, because it does it does matter the weight of your bullet, mm-hmm. especially when you're hitting a tough white animal. And what about the least amount of integrity in bullet construction? Would you shoot a 178 ELDX? I don't think I would. No. Yeah, neither would I. I know James wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, James for sure wouldn't. I'm <laughs> sure he's screaming at the radio right now. Um, no ELDX. Um. <laughs> I honestly, being a, I've hunted with monolithic bullets for a long time. Yeah. You know, hammers now and it was barns. Yeah. I mean, I don't even hardly have any experience with bonded bullets. Mm-hmm. So I would probably say hammer being ideal. I wouldn't want to do anything, you know, a barns. Understanding bonded bullet construction, I'd probably be okay with, you know, a Sirocco. Yeah. Right. Yeah, probably, like 180 do, grain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 180 grain in any of it. Yeah. But. Ideally, it'd be a 180-grain shock hammer. Yeah, right, right. So the one thing that you've got to consider when you go down in velocity in, mm-hmm. in, in a cartridge, right? So a 30 6 is going to be a common one. And I've seen a number of guys that have killed brown bears with seven mags and 30 sixes and 270s even, right. 270 Winchester. The common denominator seems to be that guys go a little bit lighter in bullet weight but a lot tougher in bullet construction. Yeah. And so a lot of these guys, I, I've seen a number of brown bears um, on, on some of these forums that, that guys have reported shooting with a 130 grain bullet out of a 270, mm-hmm. but it's a Barnes, right? Okay. So it's going 3,000 feet a second. Yeah. And it's a mono metal. So it's going to get where it needs to go. If you shoot a 270 with a 130 grain Barnes into ballistics gel, you're going to get excellent penetration. Not because of the bullet weight, but because of the bullet construction. And it retains right. weight. Right. If you were to shoot a brown bear with 130 grain, let's just say, nozzler ballistic tip, mm-hmm. then you're going to shed a good 50% plus of that 130 right. grains. And what's left to continue penetrating into that animal is not going to be enough to carry through that heavy medium in the chest cavity. Right? Mm-hmm. So, having a higher weight retention bullet. And again, this is all with a hunting rifle in mind. So you're making sure that that first shot is a perfectly broadside, 
ideal angle into the ribs right. shot. Right. The lower you go in cartridge size and caliber and bore diameter, the more concerned you have to be about your first shot. I think the ideal bullet I would do in that 30 out 6 they have a 178 absolute hammer, mm. which would Could really hop it would up. be smoking hot. I mean, it'd be 29 to 3,000 probably yeah. feet per second. So the absolute hammer, um, not a nozzler. <laughs> hammer has a disclaimer on their website yeah. with the absolute hammer bullets. Those you have to load a lot less than you think right, you, you do. Right, you start out low and work your way up. Yeah. You never Buy start. more bullets for testing. Yeah. You never start at your middle ground of velocity of traditional load data mm -hmm. with an absolute hammer. You always start at the low end and you're going to be faster than you think. Yeah. They don't, they don't fly the same as other hammer bullets do. So you got to be very careful loading those, but that bullet would give you the opportunity to take a, to take a 180 grain weight range bullet in a not six that would typically be 27 to 2750 yeah. yeah. muzzle velocity and jump that up to closer to like a 300 wind mag velocity. Yes. That's, that's the claim to fame on the absolutes is they kind of up your, right. It's like upping your case capacity. Right. Exactly. Without changing your cartridge. Right. But so, more typical, if I'm doing a factory load, if I find a factory hammer, you know, the Hender shots, there's a bunch of companies yeah. I'm sure that would load a 30 out six with hammers now. Yeah. Um, you can go to hammers, Facebook, they just updated mm -hmm. those, those companies. I would be looking for, 180 grain range, brown bear specific, I'd be looking for a shock hammer yeah. of some sort. Yeah, something that's going to expand quickly and retain a lot of That'd weight. That'd be my personal minimum. Yeah, yeah it, that, that's a good place to start. So a 300 wind mag will do the mm -hmm. job well. It right. won't do it great as a stopping round, but again, we're talking about a hunting cartridge. 300 wind mag is, in my opinion, where you get into, okay, that's fine. You know, I, I don't even have a question about that because... Even if you're shooting a bonded lead core bullet, like 180 grain Nosler Acubond, okay. you're still going to get adequate penetration through the ribs of a brown bear with 180 grain Acubond. Even something like a 200 grain um, Hornady ELDX, as long as you put it in the ribs and you don't shoot it in the shoulder, that bullet will kill the bear. Right. Because at this point, you're in the, you're in the cartridge realm where you've got enough velocity combined with a heavy enough bullet mm -hmm. that you're going to get where you need to go with a properly placed first broadside shot. Right. I still wouldn't, on a 300 wind mag with a lead core bullet, take a frontal shot on a brown bear, not on a nine foot plus bear. I've seen those bears soak up some lead and I've seen how deeply penetrating some of these bullets go. And you'd be surprised how little penetration mm -hmm. you can get, even out of like a 338 wind mag with. I had a I had one client one time that had a 225 grain Remington core locked out of a 338 wind mag. Right. And he shot a brown bear square on straight in the chest underneath the chin. And that bullet did not make it all the way through the lungs. It hit the bear in the chest, expanded completely inside that bear's chest, and sent the bear into a front roll, into a somersault. And then we ended up shooting that bear multiple other times to put him down. And when I took that bear apart and I opened up the chest cavity to look at what was going on inside there, mm -hmm. I found the core lock laying in the bottom of the chest cavity. And you could see quite easily where it had gone up halfway through the lungs and it was sitting in one of the lung bags in the bottom of the chest cavity. It did not even go all the way through the yeah. lungs. So that's a good example of you have plenty of cartridge capability, but mm -hmm. the wrong bullet choice 
It expanded too quickly, lost too much weight, therefore it killed its own momentum, right. and it stopped penetrating. So that's one thing I like about the hammers is their penetration. Yeah. I know this this episode sounds like it's an ad for hammer. Yeah. Well, it's just where we ended up. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it is. But, you know, with a bonded bullet, you end up with a big old frontal face mm-hmm. that loses loses velocity rapidly. Yep. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. and especially, like I said, in a broadside shot. Yep. But with a hammer, it sheds the pedals and the bullet continues through. That shank. With, yeah. The shank continues through with a cutting face. Yeah. A flat front. A flat, squared up front mm-hmm. that's cutting its way through. Right. And, and, and that actually creates a suction mm-hmm. in that cavitation it just created. Yes. So it, it's more expand, it's more, um, more vital disruption. Yes. And it's continuing to penetrate through right. whatever it needs to penetrate, right? Right, exactly. So a 300 wind mag, you start to get up into the better choices. 338 wind mag is probably one of the all-time favorite all-around Alaska cartridges. 338 wind mag, it's been around for forever. You can pretty much find ammo anywhere in any small town that you go to in Alaska, at least pre-COVID you could. Mm-hmm. Um, but 300 Win Mag, 338 Win Mag, and 375 H&H Magnum are going to be your, probably the lion's share of, of cartridges that you'll find in that Magnum realm, right? So the 338 Win Mag, probably the most popular bullet weight nowadays is probably a 225 because it's a better blend of velocity and weight. Um, you can get down to like a 180 grain bullet. I know Hornady loads a few 180s. And uh, Weatherby loads 185 grain Barnes TTSX in their 338 Weatherby okay. RPM in their factory ammo. That that thing's got to be smoking. Yeah, it, it's going along pretty quick. Uh, depends on how long your barrel is. <laughs> yeah, um, but that you know, you have a tremendous amount of, of of variability between a 180 grain bullet all the way up to like a 250. Mm-hmm. And the 250 typically has belonged to the Remington Corlock and a Nosler Partition. Those are probably the two most popular um, bullet styles in that 250 weight range that I've seen around. Nowadays, you've got the, the Hornady ELDX comes in a 230 grain bullet, I believe. That wouldn't be a bad option either. Um, but just keep in mind that with different bullet constructions, you're going to get different abilities to penetrate. With an ELDX, you're mm-hmm. probably not going to get from stem to stern in a running away shot. Right, so on a backup shot, if you shoot that bear one time and he runs off or tries to, and you try to put one up his tailpipe, that ELDX is going to obliterate the back hip, and it'll slow that bear down plenty. But it's not going to get all the way up into the chest cavity. Right. Um, the next step up, I would say, is a 375. I mean, that, that there are the the 35 Whalens and things like that. Mm-hmm. But for the commonality's sake, the 375 H and the 375 Ruger probably occupy. I, I would say 70%, I, I would be willing to guess, of the guiding industry in Alaska between the 375 H&H and the 375 Ruger. Um, that, that's probably the vast majority of your guide guns in mm-hmm. circulation right now. And that's for one reason. You have versatility in a dangerous game cartridge. You can shoot down to a hand-loaded 225 grain or all the way up to a 350 grain hand-loaded uh, round as well with most of your factory ammo falling either on a 250 grain, a 270, or a 300 grain being the most popular. Are they fairly ballistically similar? The Ruger and the H&H? Yeah. 
Um, the Ruger has 6% more case capacity okay. than the H&H does. That doesn't necessarily translate to velocity. Yeah, for though. factory loads, you'll usually see a little bit of an uptick in velocity compared okay. to the H&H in contemporary bullet weights, um, but not a significant amount. If you get ammunition from Buffalo Bore, mm-hmm. I used to guide with a 375 Ruger with a 270 grain Barnes TSX. Out of a 20-inch barrel, I was getting 2750. That same round out of a 375 H&H was getting about 2650 or 2675. So, I mean, at the distances you're going to be using that, it really isn't. Yeah, about 100 feet a second, not enough to make a difference. At the end of the day, it really comes down to what rifle you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Rugers, the 375 Rugers are a lot easier to find are nowadays really? than a 375 H&H is. Um, the only current production 375 H&Hs from Winchester are both woodstock and blued barrels. They don't even offer an Alaska-grade um, oh, really? rifle that would stand up to the elements. So if you buy a factory 375 H&H, chances are you've got to have the stock replaced and get it Cerakoted before uh-huh. you bring it up here. Or else you're practically going to ruin it in the salt water unless you oil it every day, which can work. It looks like hand loads. You can get the 375 Ruger up a couple hundred feet a second faster. Yeah, I'm sure with hand loads you could. That's based on Nosler yeah. data. Yeah. Yeah. So the most common bullet weight for either one of those is going to be a 300 grain bullet. I've had really good luck with 270 grain barns over the years out of my Ruger. Mm-hmm. And going back to the backup shot deal, I've shot brown bears several different times and several different sizes of bears, ranging up to a 10-foot-3 and all the way down to a 9-footer with that Ruger cartridge with, again, that 270-grain Barnes TSX. And I've shot end-to-end, through and through, mm-hmm. um, butt to chest, all the way through and out of brown bears with that 270-grain bullet because you get a little bit more blend of velocity as to just heavy, heavy weight, right? So... If I was going to advise somebody, and this is where we'll just kind of wrap back to with this discussion, if you had to pick a guide rifle, I'm sorry, a guide rifle, a hunting rifle Mm -hmm. to hunt in Alaska for a brown bear, and you can stand the recoil, I would recommend a 375 H&H. That's just my personal preference. I am very biased to that cartridge. Um, If you can handle the recoil of a 375 Ruger or something bigger, that might be for you, but most people can't handle even a 338 Win Mag's recoil compared to a 300. Mm-hmm. The 375 is more of a push than a sharp recoiling punch, and a lot of folks can shoot a 375 H&H a lot easier than a 338 Win Mag. There's just something different about that case and how it recoils compared to a 338 Win Mag. So, for that reason, my ideal brown bear hunting rifle. And this is what I've shot my personal brown bear with was a 375 H&H. It's easy to shoot. Ammunition is widely available. And you have no doubt that no matter what the shot angle is, as long as you're shooting the proper bullet, Mm -hmm. that the bullet will get into the vitals no matter what. I'm looking at some of the load data for 375 Ruger, 375 H&H, comparing Mm -hmm. it to available hammer bullets. Because that's what I do now when I'm thinking about cartridges. Yeah, there you go. Right. And uh, I'm I, I, I like what I see. It looks like with a 270 grain shock hammer. Yeah, that, that's what I want to reload for my 375s. You could, you could get that with the 375 Ruger. You could get that up to 2,800 feet per second. Yeah. And that would be, they actually, uh, um, Barnes makes a 270 LRX. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, that's harder to find. Probably especially factory loads. Um, I've never seen it in a factory load. I don't even think they load it in if, a factory. It's in their load data book. That's where I see it on here. Okay. But, yeah. Um, anyhow, it looks like a sweet... What about the velocity for the 270 grain shock hammer out of an H&H? Um, let me, 2,700? Let me pull some of that up here. I, I'm just curious. I, 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 I looked at the... We'll wrap back to that in a second. Yeah, go um, ahead. Let's touch on one more thing. Rifle scopes. Mm-hmm. Bring something low power with an illuminated center dot if you can. Yeah. If you have an illuminated reticle, whether it's a Trigicon scope with a, um, with, oh man, what's that, uh, that little, man, I'm spacing that out now. That, that little glow section like you have on iron sights. Fiber optic. Oh, yeah, there you go. It has a little fiber optic coil on top of the right. rear of the scope that provides light to a center dot in your crosshairs. That way you don't have to have battery power. Mm-hmm. That works great so that you've got something to, uh, to just pull up and that dot is where you want to shoot, mm-hmm. right? Or Leupold makes the fire dot. I already mentioned that on that VX6 that I've got on my 338, um, it's got that little red dot in the center. That works awesome for low light shooting scenarios. And for brown bear hunting, a lot of your shooting is going to be last, last light of the day. And you, you need to be able to see your reticle well against a very dark brown bear hide at last light. So something in that one to five or one and a half to five, um, Leupold has a variety of options in that. And then Trigicon also was kind of my second recommendation, if you will, for that uh, fiber optic option in your reticle as well. All right. Yeah. And you had a, um, what was that scope you had for a little while there? I don't know if you hunted with it. You had that SIG? I had a SIG. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I used that this spring on, okay. a, yeah, on my bait. That thing looked sweet. That was a one to eight. Yep. That was a pretty affordable scope too. Um, a friend of mine now has that on one of his 375s. Okay. That's a battery powered, um, eliminated center dot. In the yeah. It, big tube on it too. So yeah. Lots 30 mil. Of, yep. Yeah. Lots of light retention there. Yep. All right. So in the 375 H&H, from the barns load data. That's what I like to compare to mm-hmm. for initial, yeah. just looking at getting a rough idea of what a hammer is going to do. I have found that the hammer HHTs tend to fly slower. Mm. Just o- overall, they're a slower moving bullet. A little more of, bearing surface, maybe. Probably. Um, the the regular hammer hunters seem to be pretty slick. Yeah. Uh, they're going to perform more like a barns, yeah. probably. Um, anyhow, so the 375 H&H, H270, TSX so they're looking at around around 26 the high 2600 to 27 if you can find some ramshot big game maybe even 28 whoa out of um, a 22 or 24 inch barrel these are out of a probably 24 probably let's see here uh 24 yeah yeah okay so but, my, yeah my model 70 has a 24 inch barrel on it so that would be yeah but so probably expect something in that upper 2600. Yeah. I mean, and to be now, safe. now most of these loads, most of them are, all, there's only one in 26. The rest are in 27. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so, most of these loads. So low 2700 feet per second. Yeah. Most of these loads are compressed. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is, is okay. You know, they're probably compressed because it's a monolithic, which means they've got to push it a little further yeah, into yeah, the case yeah, and the wood with the, with the jacketed. But, um, you know, and if you can measure your, Find your lands and mm-hmm. push your bullet length out there a little longer if your magazine right can right. fit can fit that. It's what I did with my three hundred short mag and yeah, that thing shoots lights out. Yeah, but for sure. 
Well, man, we went into some some we good got detail deep. there. We, went we deep. Yeah, we got into quite a bit of cartridges. Kind of covered the main ones, you know, OT six, three hundred Win Mag, three thirty eight, and three seventy fives. Um, but that's kind of the that, that's kind of the the lion's share of, of the common choices for brown bear hunting rounds up here anyway. If you've got something different, um, it somewhere in that category mm-hmm. between three hundred and three seventy five that you shoot well and that you've got a good control expansion bullet, you'll be just fine. Right. It, it's it's not something to obsess over. And if you've got a good gun that you shoot well with good bullets. Don't change what already works. Mm-hmm. Um, my client that just came up and did this moose hunt asked me, he said, well, w- what gun would you recommend if I wanted to come back and do a brown bear hunt? And I said, the exact gun that you've got in your hands right now. He's had that same model 700 for 30 years nice. and he shoots it well, you know, aside from the hang fire problem. Right. Um, he shoots that gun extremely well. He's familiar with it. Was that the gun or was that the ammunition? So it was choice ammunition and it was brand new ammo and he's shot a ton of it at home. He's gone through mm-hmm. like four boxes at home and never had a problem. I'm leaning towards, he probably had some grease in the firing pin spring or the spring was just, it was cold. It, it was just weak. Yeah. And, and it was much colder up here yeah, on our hunt that could definitely than it was it. That could back also at his affect, home. That could also affect how that ammunition shoots it could uh you know some of the stuff that can cause that ammunition could be primer um it could be the fact that if if it was a little bit of a loose load it Mm. wasn't filled full case capacity yeah especially in more of a ball powder yeah um it could have just been that the ignition took a little longer to really take on that powder i mean it was taken depending on the temperature a second to go off, uh, you know, there's at some point. I'm sure he didn't know all the low data and powder and everything that was. No, he did. said that he said that the guy at Choice sent him the details. So okay. I, I'm going to get that at some point, and you and I can go over it, that. I'm I'm very curious on what the info to was. Shake one of those shells next to your ear, did you? I didn't. Okay. I thought about it after I left, and I thought, man, I wish I would have done that because I had the same thought. I thought, man, what if they used a real slow burning powder or a real temp sensitive powder, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a full case? You know, it, that could have been an an ignition issue. I'm leaning more towards a weak primer strike. Um, but, you know, then again, all the primer strikes were, looked normal on the cases that, that hang fired. Huh. So I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's kind of a puzzler. Um, for any of you listeners out there, if you ever had a hang fire, write us into the show yeah. and let us know what your experience has been and what, right. the, and what you ended up figuring out the cause of that was. I'm, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out what that was. And um, we can go from there and That's bring right, back yeah. more details and learn something about that. But Well, it's been about an hour and a half. Yeah, I think we've pretty much uh, covered brown bear hunting and beat this to death for now. And uh, hopefully when I get back from this hunt, we've got a fun story to go over and a dead brown bear to share photos of. And oh, we yeah. can go from there. But if you guys like the show and like what we're doing, be sure to go to our website, thenorthernhunter.com, and support us by shopping from our merchandise and any of our partners on there with That's our right. corresponding discount codes. And also, whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or whatever you choose to listen on, be sure to leave us a written review, a positive review. We'd really appreciate that. And also give us a five-star rating. And if you've got a question or a comment about content that we have discussed or, or something that you'd like to hear about from us in the future, for another episode, be sure to email us at thenorthernhunter.com. And uh, we have a contact us button there. So... Without further ado, we'll go ahead and end this one, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Until then, get out there, get after it. Good luck.
All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.